Welcome to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I'm a master certified self-image coach and empowered health coach with a decade-long background working in the health and wellness industry. If you're anything like me or the clients that I work with, then you're probably struggling with body image, self-image, or confidence issues. You're probably also trying to figure out why it is that you have these amazing desires for living your healthiest and most fulfilling life, but you can't seem to create consistent actions in your life to reflect those desires. So join me as we dive in deep on what it means to live a fulfilled and authentic life. We're going to look from the perspective of an empowered mindset and uncover reasons why you might be what's holding yourself back from living your most fulfilling life. I'm going to break through some of the biggest illusions and myths that we've all been taught to believe along the way. And I'm so excited to have you with me on this journey. So my only question for you is, are you ready to start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. We are now on episode number 39, and I'm going to say it again this week. For those of you listening in for the first time, you picked an interesting topic to listen in on. Uh, For those of you now listening in for your 39th time, still going to be very interesting for you. Um, We're actually going to talk about a topic today that I talked about two weeks ago, and I want to go a little bit deeper into the topic and one particular aspect of it that I sort of touched on two weeks ago, Um, but I want to explain a little bit more about this one particular area of this topic because I see a lot of people sort of brushing the topic off as something like, oh, that's not something I need to be concerned with, that's not dealing with me, that's not me at all, that's not something I'm struggling with, but then I hear them, the things that they say to me, I kind of hear and I'm like, oh, but this this actually is something that you're struggling with. So I want to get a little bit clearer on the topic, and I'm doing this because the more aware we become of the things that we are struggling with, the more opportunity we have to do something about it versus saying, well, this is just how I am, which brings me into the topic today. Today, we're going to talk about being a victim to the self, basically self-victimhood. Two weeks ago, we talked about the victim mindset, and so today is an extension of that. We're talking about the victim mindset, but we're talking about how it applies to when a person turns that victim mindset in on themselves. And they become both the villain and the victim in their story of victimhood. And this, I find, is the the most insidious and trickiest way that the victim mindset kind of sets itself up in a person's life or that a person sets it up in their own life. Because most people, they don't see it at all as them being a victim in this situation um, because of how they've learned to have these conversations with themselves and how they've learned to word things in a way that sort of tricks them into not seeing what they're actually doing. So this week, what I want you to begin to see is that a victim mindset doesn't stop at how people are thinking about the world around them or the people around them. It can also be something that we can turn in on ourselves. And we're going to look at that this week as to how, what that looks like, um, some ways to recognize it, um, and 
then of course at the end I'm going to offer you all my help if you if you need it. But I really want to point this out to you all this week because I feel like it's so important. Um, you know, I've I've always heard had these conversations with people that want to change things in their lives, and I've always heard these little phrases that people use that sound so innocent and sound so you know almost laughable, and whenever I hear it, I, I just I can hear in the statement that the person doesn't see that they are completely disempowering themselves and becoming a victim to themselves. And so they almost don't, well, not almost, they don't take action in their life to do the things that they want to do because of the fact that the victim mindset has sort of engraved itself so much into their self-talk that they they have no awareness whatsoever about the fact that they have created this story for themselves in which they are both the villain and the victim. So I want to get really clear on this today with you all so that you all can maybe start recognizing where you're doing it in your own life. Um, and awareness is always our first step. So um, if you can just become aware of this, that is already so huge and you're on on the path towards doing something about this. Um, so... Let's do a little bit of review here. Um, Remember what a victim mindset is. A victim mindset is a pervasive belief system surrounding beliefs and thoughts that a person is being targeted for unfair, harmful actions against them, either by life or the world or other people, um, or that life in general is just against them. Uh, they also see themselves as having very little responsibility in life because life happens to or against them. So therefore there's nothing that they could or should do in life, um, because life's just happening to them. So that is basically, um, a victim mindset in a nutshell. Some, some ways that they can believe in the victim mindset might be that they believe that their lives are a series of challenges directly aimed at them to make their specific life more difficult for them. Um, One other way that I see people with the victim mindset uh, seeing life in this way is they see that more aspects of their life are negative and that this being a fact makes them unhappy in life. But So there are two things with this that are, are problematic is that number one, life is never negative. Life just is. And whether how, how we choose to perceive it decides whether or not it's negative or positive for us and how we choose to perceive our own perception of it. So, um, for instance, when someone dies, I want to believe that when someone dies that it's sad, but I also don't think that's a negative thing. I think that's a very positive thing that I can become so close to someone that I can have those sort of feelings when someone passes and to be able to process everything that that is going on in within me, the beliefs that I've created with having this person in my life, and to be able to go through them all and look at them and to see what I've learned and to see where I've grown and to see where I want to continue to learn and grow from those beliefs. Sadness is my indicator to move into that. And so I don't see it as being a negative thing. So, yeah, that, that's the first problematic thing is that in this belief, we see life as being capable of being negative, and it's not. Life just is. The second part of this particular belief in the victim mindset is that if you are believing that life is negative is a fact, if you choose to believe that, even if this was true, the fact of the matter is that nothing outside of you can make you feel anything. So there are two aspects of this. You're sort of 
becoming a victim to life in the fact that you're seeing it as, as you have to see it as being negative. And then number two, you're seeing it as something outside of you can make you feel or do something. Um, so if you're unhappy in life, it's not because of something happening outside of you. It's because of a belief system or thoughts that you are having. And remember, beliefs and thoughts are always optional. So this is one way in which we can become a victim in life is by seeing life as always being negative and that this fact makes us unhappy with our life. Okay, so another way is um, because of challenges in their life, they deserve sympathy from other people around them or they deserve special treatment or opportunities um, because of how hard life has been on them or how negative it's been for them or bad it's been for them. Um, that's another way a victim mindset can show up. Another way is that they believe that they have little power over anything that happens in their life or no power to change anything in their life. So they take little action, uh, to improve their life or to do anything in their life. So yeah, these are some ways that the victim mindset shows up and how people can use the victim mindset to look at the world around them or people around them and see themselves as being a victim to those things. But... Some of these can be turned eventually into internal beliefs that we have about ourselves and which the victim mindset leads to leads to what we're talking about today, which is this self-victimhood. Um, the last one that we talked about there, the belief that a person has little or no power to do anything in their life, again, because they believe life is happening to them. Um, and so therefore they have no power to change anything. This is one huge, huge belief that leads to self-victimhood because it leads to thoughts of a person somehow being powerless or broken in their life, that they're unable to do the things that other people are able to do, um, and that something is wrong with them, which is why they're not able to change something in their life. You see, the victim mindset can convince a person to start seeing themselves as both roles in their victimhood story. They start seeing themselves as the villain in their story as well as the victim. So one way in which I see the self-victimhood develop is that people that have been in a victim mindset that's been externally focused, so blaming other people, blaming the world around them for why they're unhappy in life and for why they're unable to do things and for why they are doing certain things that they don't want to be doing in their life. Um, eventually they've been blaming everyone and everything around them for so long, they've run out of things to blame. People are starting to see that, you know, they're just, they like to blame things around them and other people for their problems. And they stop giving them sympathy. So receiving the sympathy no longer works in this victim mindset. And remember, for a lot of people with a victim mindset, this sympathy is how they perceive getting love. And so this is why a lot of people take on the victim mindset is because, the sympathy they, that they receive from other people, they see that as being their their source of love. And so having a victim mindset is literally their source of receiving love in life. Um, so what do they do? When, when they're no longer receiving sympathy from people outside of them for blaming things around them, they stop looking at other things and people to blame and they turn on themselves and start blaming themselves. And I see this happen a lot of times. You know, someone has a victim mindset and they're blaming other people. People get tired of it. They turn their backs on them because they they don't know how to handle it and they don't know what to make of it. And so then the person turns on themselves and starts attacking themselves. They may even make some suicide threats. And what does everyone do? They turn back around. They're like, oh, no, 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 there's nothing. Wrong. And they start giving them sympathy again. So then the person has the sympathy for attacking themselves, 
for calling themselves names, for saying how broken they are, for saying how stupid they are, lazy, whatever adjective they might use, they start receiving sympathy for that. Or they start giving themselves sympathy for the way they're talking to themselves because they see the way that they're talking to themselves as being something that's happening to them, not something that they're doing. Um, but self-victimhood doesn't always occur uh, in this way. So it, it's not always that someone has been in a victim mindset and blaming things around them, and so then they turn on themselves. Some people, they automatically go to the self-victimhood. Like, the moment that a tragedy strikes, or what they perceive as a tragedy strikes, they slip into self-victimhood. And one of the quickest ways that I see this happening, and maybe this is just because I, I have done a lot of personal training, health coaching, nutrition planning for people. So for me, one of the most common ways that I see this happening is when someone receives a sudden and unexpected medical diagnosis. And they just immediately jump into self-victimhood about how broken they are and how broken their body is. And um, they, they slip into this victimhood of self. So that's one of the quickest ways that I see that I personally see it happening as a health coach. Um, there are many other ways in which a person can jump straight into this victim mindset where they're completely disempowered and in self-victimhood. One other way that I see is the sudden loss of a loved one, either by death, um, that a person believes could have been prevented or um, that they should have done something to prevent, or loss from an unexpected divorce. Another way would be um, people that have a lack of success in trying to begin a romantic relationship. And they automatically start turning in on the negative self-talk on themselves and believing that there's something broken about them because they, the romantic relationship didn't work out. Losing a job um, and people making that mean something horrible about themselves, that they did something wrong, that there's you know something flawed about them that's the reason why they lost their job. Uh, another huge way that I personally see it is people attempting to lose weight, especially for their first time, and they're not successful in losing the weight the first time, and so they automatically jump to the conclusion that obviously something is wrong with them or broken about them. So those are some of the biggest ways that I see personally that people jump straight into self-victimhood. They don't slip from blaming things outside of them to blaming things inside of them. They just jump straight to blaming things inside of them. So for those that ha that did start off, though, by having the, the sort of what I would call external victimhood mindset would basically they, they just end up blaming everyone in their life, their family members, friends, society, life for being unfair to them, spouses, kids, bosses, co-workers, and yet they still feel stuck and they run out of things to blame, they get tired of looking for things to blame, they're no longer getting sympathy, and so the last frontier becomes the self. So those are kind of the two ways, remember, that I see people slipping into the self-victim mentality, either right away or going from the external to the internal. This sort of insidious and not-so-obvious frontier of victimhood is when it turns in on the self. Sometimes it's hard for people to recognize it in themselves, and it's hard for other people to see it around them, that they are being a victim to themselves. Um, and the reason why I think it's hard for other people to see it is because a lot of the things that people say to themselves that cause this self-victimhood mentality or that are a part of this self-victimhood mentality, so many people are doing it that they don't recognize it as being a symptom of self-victimhood. They just see it as being, oh, that's, that's just, that's true, that's normal. You know, 
Um, so let's talk about some ways in which I see self-victimhood present in people. So we talked about some ways or some things that can happen in life that people turn into being a gateway into slipping into self-victimhood or going from the external to the internal. Let's talk about some ways that it actually shows up, like what it actually looks like. So there are four major places, no, five, I'm sorry. There are five major places that I see this showing up in a person's life. The first one is the body, um, particularly with disease. I see a lot of people, either they receive a diagnosis from a doctor and they automatically slip into self-victimhood. I also see a lot of people who don't know how to take action in their life to create the life that they want. They are sitting in a victimhood mentality and they're feeling stuck and they don't know what else is to blame. So there's like, they, they, they start to believe there must be something wrong with them. So they start going to doctors and literally searching for a diagnosis. Literally, they're asking the doctor, please give me something to blame so that I can say, oh, this is the reason why I'm not doing this thing that I want to do in my life. That explains it. End of story, period. I'll never be able to do it. Oh, well. But they're still not happy. They're still not ha- they still want to do the thing in their life, and they're still not happy even with the diagnosis, but it gives them something to blame. Um, and I want to be clear here. This does not mean that having a diagnosis cannot be helpful. And this does not mean that if that there are diseases that we don't want to be diagnosed and that there are diseases that can, I'm not trying to say that there aren't diseases that can complicate the kind of actions that you can take towards your goals. But you see there, I see two sort of paths that people can take in either searching for a diagnosis or in receiving diagnosis or just suddenly receiving a diagnosis. Um, there are people that want a diagnosis so that they feel like they can blame the diagnosis and they think that that's going to relieve them of the guilt of giving up on the thing that they want to do that they're afraid to do um, because they're afraid of the discomfort of, of going after their goal. And so they'd rather sit in the discomfort of their guilt. So there are people that, that look for a diagnosis or that when they receive a diagnosis, suddenly that it's like for them, it's a source of blame. And it's they see this as a way to release um, the pressure to to have to go after this thing in their life that's actually something they want to go after. But again, they're in victim mindset. So they don't see it as something they want to go after. They're looking at their life from a victim mindset. So that's one one way that I see people taking a diagnosis. They, They take the diagnosis and they make that a period. Like, okay, so this is the reason why I can't do this, period. Then there is this second group of, or second way that I see people approaching this, where they are either they're looking for a diagnosis so that they can better understand what is going on in their body and therefore find solutions that work better for them and their unique position so that they can move towards their goal. Um, Or another way that I see people using their diagnosis as a way to actually help them is that they get this diagnosis out of nowhere that they weren't looking for and they slip into this state of empowerment and they say, okay, so this is where I am. This is how this is for me right now. How is this for me? And how can I find solutions to keep moving forward with and through this diagnosis to find solutions towards my goals? So there, it's basically 
two ways that people move into that there. And another way with the the sudden diagnosis that was unexpected is that people slip into self-pity and self-defeat, resentment, and wallowing. So, yeah, it's not... I, I want to be very clear here. I'm not trying to say, don't get a diagnosis. I'm not trying to say, don't go to doctors. Um, if you're thinking that something might be going on in your body, what I'm saying is that there are two different approaches to this. You can seek a diagnosis because you want to better understand what is going on in your body so you can find solutions, or you can seek a diagnosis for a reason to not take actions. Those are two very different paths, two very different paths. And what I'm here to offer is that the first choice to seek a diagnosis so that you can find solutions That is the choice that we want to be making. That is what keeps us from using a medical diagnosis to slip into victimhood. Okay? So, um, another way in the body in which I see people slipping into victimhood is about their genetics. And this gets a little bit tricky. So, we can talk about uh, physical abilities. So, some people are born shorter. Some people are born taller. Some people are born with longer or shorter limbs. Um, Some people are born with more or less muscle mass. Some people are born with more or less skeletal mass. Some people are born with hair that's darker or lighter, skin that's smoother or rougher. Some people are born with wider or narrower hips or shoulders. So many different variations in how we, our bodies can be born um, and how our genetics show up. And What's fascinating is the study of epigenetics. So the influence of our environment and our thinking and the things that we do in our life on our genetics. And what this means to me is that there are two ways, again, we can approach these genetics. We can either approach our genetics as being um, a period, like my legs are just short, so therefore I can't do this. I'll never be good at this. I'll never be able to blah, 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 period. Or the other approach is, okay, I was born with genetics like this, so what can I do? I have a goal to want to be able to do this. What can I do with what I'm given here to be able to find solutions to take actions towards that goal? Two very different approaches here. But I see with a victim mindset with a lot of people, they take their genetics and they put a period at the end of this is why I can't do X, Y, Z. And they're usually things like goals that they have, things that they want to do in life that they're scared to do. Um, Okay, so another area of life in which a person can become a victim to self is there, we're moving on from the body. Now we're going to talk about the personality. And this can be broken up into three separate parts, which is why I said there are five parts here. So the first one is our thinking. So I see a lot of people that they see their thinking as something that just happens to them and that uh, they either have to fight against the feeling or the thinking because it's bad or wrong, or they see it as this is just how it is. This is something about how I am and there's no point in fighting it. It's just quote unquote, how I am, just how I am. Um, And so they see their thoughts and beliefs as being who they are not as something that they chose or can choose differently. They literally become a victim to their thinking. Their thinking, they think, is something that just happens. They they have no control over and that there's nothing they can do about it. They never had any choice in it and they will never have any choice in it. Okay, so another way um, under personality is behavior. So I see people believing that they are their behaviors. So someone hits someone because they're scared, um, or they get angry, 
and then they do it again, and then they do it again. And then eventually they see this behavior of hitting as, I'm a violent person. Um, This is just how I am. And because they have done this particular behavior for a certain amount of time, they see themselves as being, quote-unquote, the type of person that does that behavior, and that that can't be changed. So literally they become a victim to their behaviors because they don't want to see that their behaviors are a result of beliefs, thoughts, feelings, and therefore actions that they've taken and repeated because they keep the same beliefs and thoughts around. And they've also not chosen to see the fact that their beliefs and thoughts are optional and therefore can be changed, and this means that the behavior can be changed. So I see a lot of people slipping into victim mindset about the behavior, especially surrounding weight loss. I see that a lot. And eating habits. So people saying things like, oh, I've just always eaten like this. This is just how I am. And they put a period there. And I'm like, oh, okay, so just because you've done this up until now does not mean that this is who you are. This is just how you've chosen to behave based on the beliefs and thoughts that you currently have surrounding food, your body, weight loss, nutrition, many different things. And people put a period there like that's just... That's a fact. Nothing we can do about it. Let's move on. And I'm always kind of like, no, no, we're not moving on because there's more here. There's a whole lot to look at here. You're giving away your responsibility to this behavior when you're the one creating the behavior. So a lot of, I see this happens so, so much in weight loss and people with emotional eating. um, And yeah, so this is one one of the huge ways in which I see behavior becoming a way that people slip into self-victimhood. They see themselves as being a victim to their behavior, that they that they just are this thing that's going to always be against them, and they've got to, they're just going to have to accept that about themselves. Okay, so another thing in the, the personality part um, that can be an aspect of how people become a victim to the self is in their beliefs. I see... So many people become a victim to their beliefs, especially people that grow up in very traditional and religious families. I speak from personal experience here. I grew up in a very religious family. And for the longest time, I felt like I had to behave in certain ways because I had to have certain beliefs that I was taught by pastors, by Sunday school teachers, by my grandma, by my parents, by other people in church, you know, and that these were just... These beliefs were just simply facts that I had to believe and therefore I had to act a certain way based on those beliefs and I had to think certain things about things around me because I had to have these particular beliefs because I took them from people that I saw as an authority figure and I thought there was no other option of a, a way to believe about things other than this way. So I see this happen to so many people and they get stuck in their belief and behavior patterns because they don't want to see that the beliefs that they have that are keeping them where they are are optional. Sure, they took them from people that they may have respected. That doesn't make the person that they respected less respectable, even if they choose to take on different beliefs. But I see so many people getting stuck here because they're afraid to change those beliefs either because they think changing their beliefs disrespects the person that they took the belief from, or because they believe that this belief has to be true because they're scared to explore other possibilities, and therefore they become a victim to their beliefs. And these beliefs are harming them because they're not doing the things in life that they're wanting to do because they feel like they're not allowed. Okay, so another 
aspect of the personality that people can become victims to are their feelings. And so this is another way that a person can fall into self-victimhood is that they become a victim to their own feelings. I see people following urges and impulses because they've had these feelings and they've always just reacted to it over and over again. They have a feeling, they react to it. They have a feeling, they react to it. And the reaction is usually the same reaction. And they become a victim to their feeling. Because again, they haven't taken the time to understand where feelings come from, how we process them, and how to become emotionally responsible. In other words, when we experience an emotion, we have a choice in how we respond to that emotion. We don't have to react to it. Just because I'm feeling anger does not mean I need to react to anger. I can feel anger. I can allow the anger to be there. I don't have to make it wrong, but I don't have to react to it with things like violence, either emotional, verbal, or physical. And anger is the one one feeling that I see. It's one of the biggest feelings that I see people becoming a victim to because they so many people are scared of feeling anger because they associate anger with violence. And so when people start experiencing anger, they start resisting the anger. And when they resist the anger, the anger just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger because they're not processing it. They're just resisting it until eventually the, the anger becomes so strong that they can no longer resist it and they react to it, either with turning verbal, physical, or emotional violence outwards to other people or in on themselves. And they do this over and over again to the point where they believe that they are a victim to their anger. When their anger comes up, they can do nothing but react to it. And again, this happens because people don't take the time to understand emotions, where emotions come from, which is our beliefs and our thoughts, why we have them, which is because they're there to guide us to our beliefs and thoughts so that we have the option to look at them and decide in every moment of our life where we are and where we're going, is this a belief I want to keep? It doesn't have to be. But if I want it, I can keep it. If I want to change it, I can. Are these thoughts, thoughts that I want to keep having? If I do want to keep having them, I can. If I don't, I don't have to. People don't want to see this. They don't want to take their emotional responsibility. And then the other part of this is understanding that just because you're feeling an emotion doesn't mean that you have to react to it. I can feel many emotions all at the same time and I don't have to react to them. I can choose a response that serves me in that moment and still feel my emotions, still process them, still follow them back to their thoughts and beliefs, still understand them and still make a decision as to which ones I want to keep, which ones I don't with my thoughts and beliefs and move forward in a constructive way. This is called emotional responsibility and it's scary for a lot of people, which is why a lot of people don't want to do it because we've not practiced this. It's not taught very often. And so people, it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable the first few times you do this or the first hundred times you do this because it's a new practice. And so people avoid this and then they become reactive to their emotions, their feelings, and therefore they feel like they're a victim to their feelings. So these are the ways in which I see self-victimhood pop up in people's lives. And then there's this sort of sneaky way that I see it come up. And it's in our self-talk. And one of the biggest ways in our self-talk that I see people choosing the path of self-victimhood is that they disguise it as being acceptance. So negative self-talk 
is a huge key indicator to the fact that you have you are in self-victimhood. But negative self-talk, it, it's not necessarily always so overtly negative. Sometimes it can be quite, it can seem like it's such a pure intention. It can sound like it's so innocent. And it can even sound so acceptable and factual. So people will live in this self-victimhood and not even see it that way for so long until they finally open themselves up to see it. And, and then it starts to become very obvious. And one of the ways in which I see this sort of sneaky self-talk of acceptance come in that becomes victimhood is I, I hear people saying, this is just how I am. I hear it a lot with eating habits. I hear it a lot with weight loss. I hear it a lot with exercise. Um, but I hear it a lot with so many other things in life too. And then another one, and I know this is going to sound like it's stepping on some toes here, so please stick with me. Because I grew up in a religious family, I hear this one all the time because I grew up around a lot of religious people. I still have a lot of friends that are religious or spiritual that are Christians and go to church. And one way that I hear this, I'm just accepting the way that I am. This is just how I am. How I see them make it, they take it to another level in which in Christianity, you just don't question it anymore. And it sort of becomes this like Christian silent nod of, yes, of course, of course, that's a, just do that. And what I hear people saying a lot is, this is just how God made me. This is a really big one that I hear. And my friends, it sounds so innocent. It may even sound good to a lot of Christians, may sound like it's the responsible way to look at life. But my friends, no, it doesn't serve you. And I'm, I'm no longer a self-professing Christian. Do I believe in a God? Yes, I do. My beliefs about God are for me and between me and God and what I think God is. But for those of you who practice Christianity and use this, this is just how God made me. Or any other religion that has, um, you know, a deity figure that you're saying, this is just how this God made me. What I want you to understand is that God in all religions doesn't make mistakes. So even if God, quote unquote, made you that way, do you not think that this God made you that way? For you to learn and grow and to find a way to use that which was given to you to be more of the person that you know and that this God knows you are on the inside. God in all religions, I believe, is, is said to never give us more than we can handle. And if that's true, then even if God gave you these certain qualities, these certain personality traits, these certain parents that you grew up with, people that you grew up with, and therefore the thoughts and beliefs that you're going to have, even if God decided that, do you not think he decided that because he thought this is for this person to learn and grow from and to become more of the person that, that you and God know you are on the inside? And that's where that calling to do these things in your life that you feel called to do, that you're afraid to do, and that you're not stepping outside of your beliefs to do, that's where that comes from. And when we're not doing that, we're doing a disservice to God and saying, you gave me more than I can do something with. You gave me something that I can't handle, that I can't grow from, that I can't do anything with. This is just how I am. And I'm just going to stay this way for the rest of my life and feel stuck here and resentful about life because I can't do the things that I want to do because God just made me this way and he must have messed up with me. I want you to begin to see <laughs> that this doesn't even make any sense 
in your own religious beliefs. It doesn't. So this is an aspect of self-victimhood. You've chosen an aspect of self-victimhood. God did not make you in a way that is flawed, that is keeping you from being able to be the person that you know you are in your life and to find solutions to be able to achieve the goals that you want to achieve in your life. Okay? So I know that might have stepped on some toes, but I needed to address that because, guys, I grew up in the Bible Belt, and I hear this used all of the time, and it's like an end point to the conversation. The moment that a person says, this is just how God made me, conversation is over, no further discussion, it's over. Because you don't question God, right? Well, we're not questioning God. I'm questioning you and your belief that you believe that God made you this way, and therefore you're just stuck that way. That you can't do anything about it, you can't grow, you can't learn, because God just made you this flawed thing that's stuck like that to be miserable in life. I want you to really think about that. Okay? You have chosen a victim mindset there. God did not make you a victim in this life. All right, moving on. (laughs) Another way that I hear um, in the the negative self-talk in which people become a victim to the self is they'll say things like, I'm just not good at it, or I've never been good at it. And they say this as if this is a full sentence with a period at the end, where actually there belongs a comma, okay? So if you're putting a period at the end of this sentence, there's a, that's a good sign that you're living in a victim mentality or a victim mindset. So how we want to use this sentence is, I haven't been good at this yet, but I can be when I want to be, if I want to be. I have not chosen to be good at this yet, but I can when I want to. This is a huge difference between a victim mindset and having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. So in a victim mindset, when, when I just say I'm just not good at it, it's like something has been given to me. Something has happened to me and this is just how I am and there's nothing I can do about it. I will never be able to be good at this thing, period, done. It's like a, a sentence in a court, you know, like you've been sentenced to this for the rest of your life. You're stuck there, period. Deal with it. Get over it. You're stuck with it. That is a victim mindset, my friends. That is a victim mindset. Because the truth is, if there's something that you see that you're quote unquote not good at, I would replace that sentence with, I'm not experienced at this yet. I haven't practiced at it yet. The, the truth of the matter is, a lot of the things that I hear people saying, I'm not good at it, I'm like, well, how many times have you tried it? Well, I did this one time back in school, and then this happened, and it was so embarrassing. And I'm like, okay, so you tried it one time, or maybe they tried it two times, and or, or even a few times, and then they just stopped. Usually because they were comparing their progress with people around them, or they were just comparing their their current unpracticed abilities with other people's unpracticed abilities around them and saying, see, I'm just not good at this. Other people can do it, quote unquote, better than me, so I should just give up and stop trying. Using a period here where there should be a comma because of something that we're not practiced at is choosing a victim mindset. And I want you to start seeing that, my friends. It's so important that you start seeing that. Negative self-talk is this insidious and sneaky key to self-victimhood. What's really happening there is we are allowing our inner critic to make judgments about ourselves. And then we're allowing that inner critic to state those judgments as facts. When the truth is, they are just simply opinions that we are choosing to currently carry about ourselves. They're not facts. 
And the, the truth is, if we want to carry those opinions about ourselves, we are more than allowed to choose to do so. But there is a choice here. And that removes your ability to be a victim to it because you've chosen it. And that is the important thing to see here. Those thoughts that you're having about yourself, that you think you're stuck having to believe about yourself and poor me and and having the self-pity and looking for sympathy and feeling like you're stuck in life because you have these things about yourself that you just have to accept and that are wrong with you. I want you to begin to see that this is simply your inner critic convincing you that judgments that you're making about yourself are facts. And not allowing you to see the fact that you've chosen those thoughts about yourself. And that's not to feel guilty. That's not for blame. That's for you to feel empowered. Because here's the truth. If you chose those thoughts about yourself, guess what? You get to choose different ones. So I'm not pointing this out to you because I want you to to feel like such a horrible person and like a, a stupid person for for having chosen these thoughts about you. We all do it. I've done it to myself so many times. But the truth is, once you recognize it, and once you truly start to see the fact that these are only opinions that you are choosing to have about yourself, you get all of your power back in that moment. You're no longer a victim to them. Your power is there, and you begin to see the fact that you have the choice to choose different opinions about yourself. That's why I'm wanting you all to understand this. I'm not wanting you to understand this so you can start feeling guilty or stupid or like a bad person for having slipped into a victim mindset. I want you to see this because I want you to feel empowered. This was all your choice, and that's not for blame. That's so that you know, because it was your choice, you now are aware of it, and you have the choice to choose something different. When we state these opinions like facts, we become a victim to them. And therefore, we see that there is nothing that can be done to change them. Case closed. We're stuck with it. And I'm here to offer you the awareness of the fact that you are not stuck with any of anything that you see about yourself that you don't like. (laughs) You get to choose how you see yourself. You get to choose that. So if you're seeing yourself in a way that you don't like, my friends... That's what I'm here for is to help you see the fact that this is just an opinion that you're, you've chosen to believe about yourself and there are other opinions you can choose. And I'm here to help you find the ones that are truly yours, the ones you want to have about yourself and support you in finding the confidence to truly believe them about yourself and put them into practice and start taking action from those beliefs about yourself, not the ones that have kept you in this state of self-victimhood. Self-victim mindset and this self-talk, this negative self-talk, It doesn't always sound overtly negative. Like I said, it can be so sneaky. And saying things like we mentioned earlier, I'm just not good at it. Another one that I hear is other people are better at this, are better at this than me, so I should just let them do it so I don't get embarrassed. Another one that I hear, and this one is really tricky. This one's really tricky because there are so many things to untangle here around this belief, but I hear it all the time. It's that... I, okay, so I make people feel blank, insert whatever adjective you want to say you make them feel, when I blank. This thought leads so easily to self-victimhood. One of the ways that, okay, so let me give you an example in my life where I use this statement for so long, and it can show up in so many different ways. So really explore your life. If you catch yourself saying things like, I make people feel whatever feeling, when I insert whatever action in that you do, okay? 
So for me, um, one thing that I used to perceive about myself is that I like explaining things. I like to explain. I love to teach. I also have some insecurities or had some insecurities that led me to want to really, really explain things to the point where later on in life, I've, I've learned, like, even for me, I don't want to explain that much because I was afraid of being misunderstood. And there were a lot of times I felt as a kid that I was punished or I was denied opportunities because people didn't understand what I truly meant when I said something. And so I felt like I just needed to explain things more. I needed to just explain it a little bit better. And then these people would understand and I wouldn't get punished. I wouldn't um, have to, opportunities taken away from me because people didn't understand me. Um, that was me and my victim mindset. And then it it turned into me explaining things to people and, and explaining so much. And I would explain so, so much that people would get people would start to feel annoyed. And so I started to have this belief, I over-explain things, and I make people feel uncomfortable when I over-explain things, and I am an over-explainer. <laughs> so here are, are the things that I want you to understand about this, this belief, is that number one, I cannot make a person feel anything, no matter how much I explain things. I cannot make a person feel anything. You cannot make a person feel anything. Whatever your behavior is, you cannot make a person feel anything. So that was my first step is understanding, number one, I can explain things as much as I want to. And if someone is uncomfortable about that, that's about them and their beliefs about having things explained to them, how they like having things explained to them. It has nothing to do with whether or not the way I explain things is right or wrong, good or bad or uncomfortable or comfortable. It has nothing to do with that. I explain things how I like to explain things. And if they don't like that and they feel uncomfortable, that is about how they choose to perceive the way that I explain things. First, I chose to see that and believe that. And then once I was there, I was able to say, okay, so let me look at this explaining. Why is it that I explain things or feel the need to explain things so much? And I started to recognize that a lot of it came from insecurities that I had from when I was a kid. I was afraid of being misunderstood and therefore being punished because I was misunderstood or missing out on opportunities because I was not understood fully. And I noticed that even for me, I was explaining to the point that I was exhausting myself. I didn't even want to explain that much because I was doing it simply because I was afraid. And so I was able to start recognizing, okay, so I don't have to explain as much as I currently do. I can back off on that and because I was exhausting myself with explaining so, so, so much to people. And I realized I want to back off on that. And I found the level of explaining that I liked about myself that I felt like this is how I want to explain things to people. This is my way of, of being able to explain things to people and being able to teach people things in a way that is understandable for more people, taking complex ideas and making them simpler for people to understand, breaking them down. This is what I want to be able to do in life. And I found my level of explaining that is the way that I currently at this point in time in my life, and that's not to say it's not subject to change later if I choose to see that I want to explain more or less later in my life. But for now, I've found a level of explaining that I like. I like it about myself. And there are still people that say I explain too much. <laughs> there are some people that say I don't explain enough, 
you were too vague here. You didn't offer enough examples here. You didn't offer any proof to back this thing up that you said. What I learned is that no matter how I choose to explain things, there will always be people that won't like the way I explain things. I'll always be someone who explains too much or too little to somebody. But here's the thing now. I'm no longer a victim to that that thing about me. I explain in a way that I like. And I can change that at any moment in time that I don't like it anymore. But I don't have to because I'm only doing it for me. I don't have to do it. It's because If I change it, it's because I want to. It's not because when I do this, I cause people to feel this. This is a sneaky way that self-victimhood can sort of break into a person's thoughts and cause a person's inner critic, well, not cause a person, but a person can allow their inner critic to convince them that this is just a fact. You cause people to feel this when you do this. You know, maybe it's um, you like dancing, and you think that people are annoyed with you when you dance. So you think, I annoy people when I dance. Well, that's not a fact. You like dancing. Some people might not like dancing, and they may choose to feel annoyed when you dance. You don't make them feel that. They choose that. Now, if you want to change the way you dance, or how frequently you dance, or where you dance, if you want to do that, you're able to do that. But when you believe, when I do this, I make people feel this, you become a victim to that behavior, and that behavior becomes something about you that's just something that you can't change that annoys people. Because going back to my example here, with the I ex- when I explain things, or I make people uncomfortable when I explain things because I over-explain. If I kept believing that, I could keep trying to change the way that I explain things to people. I could keep doing that in order to try and pacify the people around me and in order to make them happy with the way I explain. But as I said earlier, no matter how much I change how I explain, there will always be people that will say I explain too much or I explain too little. And of course, there will also always be people that like the way that I explain. All along the way, there were people that liked the way that I explained things. Now, with the way that I explain things, there are different people that like it and different people that don't. But there are people that still like it. But the thing is, before, when I believed I make people feel uncomfortable when I do this, I was a victim to that personality trait because no matter how I changed it, no matter how much I changed it, there would still be people that I felt were uncomfortable with my my level of explaining, and some people that would vocalize it, and I would always feel like, oh, there's that thing about me again that I can't change. I'm such an over-explainer, and I'm never going to be able to get away from this in my life, and people are always going to hate the way I explain things, and people will never understand me, and I become a victim to myself. So this is what I want you to begin to see, is that that is one way in which I see this sneak in in people's lives. Self-talk, negative self-talk can be very sneaky. It can be very subtle. Self-victimhood can be very sneaky and subtle, but it doesn't make it any less insidious. It doesn't make it any less harmful. So that's why I'm wanting to explain this to you all today. Self-victimhood is very sneaky sometimes. Negative self-talk is a huge indicator that you are probably living in a story of victimhood in which you are both the villain and the victim. And this is something that I help so many of my clients start to recognize in themselves is where they are playing both of those roles. As well as where they're just playing the role of victim to things around them. But it's so important for people to recognize where they're playing both of these roles 
and feeling stuck like there's nothing they can do. People start the victim mentality externally and move inwardly. Some people start inwardly and they get so tired of beating up on themselves that they eventually start looking outside for things to blame and judge. It doesn't matter how it starts. Usually, and if someone is in a victim mindset, I usually find an area in their life in which they've adopted stories in which they're both the villain and the victim, and they are also in self-victimhood. What I also tend to find is that self-victimhood is usually the last part of the victim story for a person to let go of. It's usually the hardest part. And it's usually because it hides itself so sneakily in our internal dialogue and how we describe ourselves. And it can oftentimes fly under the radar of other people's detection. A lot of this is because a lot of the things that people say that are statements of self-victimhood are so, so societally acceptable these days. Things like this is just the way that I am. And people will just accept that and walk up. Oh, okay, yeah, well, that's just the way they are. We have to learn to accept them. They have to learn to accept themselves. We don't recognize that this is a person in self-victimhood. That this is a person who has an internal dialogue in which they are constantly beating themselves up and saying there's nothing they can do about it. Or they're not constantly beating themselves up. They're just constantly doing something to distract themselves from the internal dialogue, like overeating or over-drinking, or over-porning, over-sexing, over-drugging, so many different things, over-exercising, the list goes on and on. But my friends, this is why I encourage you, any of you who notice patterns of the victim mindset in your life, please reach out and work with a therapist or a coach to sort this out and work through it, because it can be very tricky. It can be very tricky. And I know it can feel scary, As I said two weeks ago when we talked about this, the victim mindset can become so entangled with our identity. And for some people, it's how they feel that they receive love. And it might even feel like letting go of it or even just recognizing the fact that it's a victim mindset and that it's a choice. It may feel like you're betraying a part of yourself or that you're making a part of you vulnerable or weak. Or that you're letting go of some sort of control that you feel like you have. But I'm here to promise you that number one... Victim mindset does not give you more control. Number two, you're not betraying yourself. You're starting to be true to yourself. And number three, you're not making yourself weak. You may be making yourself vulnerable, but stop seeing vulnerability as weakness. Vulnerability is not weakness. As far as the control goes, the victim mindset doesn't give you more control. If anything, it tricks you into seeing that you don't have control in the areas of your life in which you actually do have control. And it will instead convince you to focus on the areas of, of your life where you don't have control and to try and control those. That's what the victim mindset will do. So you don't have more control by having a victim mindset. If anything, you're giving up your only power of control in life. So I want to encourage you, if anything we talked about today or in the previous episode two weeks ago about the victim mindset, if this sounds like you, if it feels like you, if something touched you, if something woke up inside of you when you, when we were talking about this today and you're like, hmm, that sounds familiar. I want to encourage you to just reach out and get help. If you're afraid to get help from a coach or a therapist, start with a simple conversation with someone that you can trust to remain objective and non-judgmental. I would say a coach or a therapist would be my best advice as a person to talk about this. 
I myself offer a free discovery call to people. And that could be an opportunity for you to reach out and talk about this for the first time in a space of non-judgment. Okay? But I want to encourage you, don't keep allowing that fear to be a reason to not take action. Fear is your reason to take action. Remember, courageous action is not taking action when fear is not present or not taking action once we've gotten over the fear. Courageous action is saying, yes, I'm afraid. And step. Take the step. It's not denying your fear. It's fully acknowledging it and stepping forward into it and saying, yes, I am willing to accept this fear being here. I'm willing to move into the discomfort to find what is there for me, to grow and to become more of the person that I know I am, to start showing up more as that person that you know you are. So find the support you're looking for to help you through this, to untangle yourself from identifying with this victim mindset. It can feel so tricky, my friends. I know it can. I've, I've worked through this for so many years in my life. So trust me when I say I know how tricky the victim mindset can be. I know how sneaky it can be. Okay? I am here for anyone who wants to talk or is looking for support in this area. All of my links for my social media and ways you can contact me are in the show notes. So please take a courageous step and reach out. Please, please, please. All right. I love you all. I love you all. That's all I have for you this week. So until next week, when we meet again, I hope that you all have an empowered week in which you begin uncovering the ways in which you have allowed yourself to be a victim in your own life, either to something outside of you or to yourself. I hope that your week is full of awareness and your week is full of patience and self-love as you uncover these areas of your life. And most of all, I hope your week is full of courage as you choose to reach out, find the support, find the help, find the hands that are there to grab onto. I love you all, and I'll talk to you next week. Ciao. Hey, thank you for listening in this week. I hope you enjoyed the content of this episode. If you did, please subscribe or follow this podcast to receive the newest episodes every week as I bring them to you here on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. Ratings, reviews, and comments are always appreciated. These allow me to know more of what my listeners would like in the podcast and allow for more people who may be searching for a podcast just like this one to find the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. If you would like more information about me and the work that I do with my clients one-on-one, then please visit my website at www.slch.ch. Again, that is www. .slch.ch. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at SethLusk underscore coaching. Again, that is SethLusk underscore coaching. And on Facebook in my free Facebook group community called A Healthy Life Connection. We would love to have you in the group, and it's only three membership questions that you have to answer to join. And again, it's entirely free. And if you need any further information or just want to say hello, feel free to send me an email directly at slusk.health at slch.ch. Again, that is slusk.health at slch.ch. Thank you again so much for listening, and I look forward to our next time together. Ciao.